This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 19th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. We've said it before and we'll say it again. 2021 is the year of school choice. Jason Bedrick directs policy at EdChoice. We spoke last month about the millions of new students who will be eligible for school choice programs throughout the country and what next steps ought to be for making sure that school choice options stay in place. A lot has been made of the disruption to young people with respect to uh, education uh, during COVID-19. What has what do we know about how well young people have performed in schools uh, over the last year or so? Well, there's a recent report out uh, from McKinsey, which shows that uh, students are on average about five months behind on math and four months behind on reading. Uh, and that for uh, African-American children, actually, the losses are, are much larger, uh, closer to six to seven months uh, behind. So there is a lot of catch-up work to do uh, this year. Uh, and unfortunately, the way things are going, it looks like it might be uh, not a year of, of recovery, but another year where we'll be facing um, more learning losses. So it is unfair to lay uh, those losses uh, purely at the feet of, uh, for lack of a better term, big ed, the ed- education establishment in the United States, but certainly the re- the way in which school systems and teacher unions responded to that did not seem to be particularly helpful. I mean, school systems in general aren't super nimble uh, when it comes to dealing with uh a quick change. And I think we could be forgiven, uh, they could be forgiven for the first several months even of the difficulties that uh, school systems faced. But, uh, you know, to what extent was there active opposition to the the kinds of uh, expectations that uh, school systems were placing on teachers and on schools? Yeah, I mean, actually, parents were very forgiving when the outbreak first started in, in 2020, you know, so that, that, uh, spring 2020 semester parents basically gave the school systems a pass, uh, but they were expecting that they were going to work things out over the summer and that there would be some sort of operable plan, uh, come fall, which there, there was for a lot of schools, but, uh, for a great many, uh, that was simply not the case. Uh, and now here we are through the spring semester of 2021, entering the 21, 2021, 22 semester, and uh, parents are at wit's end. Uh, lots of fights we're seeing over mask mandates or the lack thereof. Uh, parents uh, filling school board meetings. Uh, there is a great deal of uh, frustration and anger. And frankly, look, uh, we, we've seen that the private sector was much more likely to be opening their schools in for in-person instruction much earlier than the public schools were able to do it, in many cases not even uh, closing at all, without having these sort of super spreader events that everyone was worried about. Uh, and I, I agree that we cannot lay all of the learning loss at their feet and say, this is your fault. That's not, that's not the issue. Uh, but if you're going to address it, first, you have to realize that there is a problem that needs to be addressed. And in too many cases, the teachers unions 
have been saying, oh, learning loss is a myth. This isn't really happening. Uh, just last week, uh, UTLA president uh, Cecilie Meyer-Cruz said, uh, it's okay that our babies may not have learned all their times tables. They know the difference between a riot and a protest. They know the words insurrection and coup. Essentially, what she was saying was uh, they're focused on politically indoctrinating kids, at least in some classrooms, uh, and not worrying about basic literacy and numeracy, which is why parents are fleeing out the door. So 2021, as I've uh, nudged you many times over the course of this year, uh, this is, of course, the best year for school choice, at least in a very, very, very long time. Um, by a very, very long time, uh, I would say forever. Uh, this is the best year we've ever had. There, ha we had 18 states pass seven new educational choice programs, and by that I mean tax credit scholarships, uh, school vouchers, or K-12 education savings accounts. So that doesn't even account things like charter schools or magnet schools or interdistrict public school choice, things like that. I'm, I'm just talking about the private choice options, uh, and they expanded. Uh, 21 existing programs. Um, last year, there was a little more than 600,000 students nationwide participating in some sort of voucher, ESA, or tax credit scholarship program. Uh, this year, the eligibility increases mean that there are at least 6.3, uh, there are at least 3.6 million additional students who are eligible to participate in one of the new programs and about 900,000 more kids that are eligible to participate in one of the existing programs. And then in terms of actual seats, we've got 1.6 million more seats available, which means that if every one of those seats were filled, you would quadruple the number of kids participating in a school choice program. Now that's not gonna happen because that would mean every single kid in West Virginia takes an education savings account, so we know that's not gonna happen. Uh, but it just, it shows what tremendous progress we have made in, in just a single year. I know for a fact that activists in Kentucky uh, who have known only failure before this year were pretty shocked that uh, that school choice came, even in a limited way, and it is very limited, uh, to Kentucky. I think it was relatively surprising in West Virginia that such an expansive program was approved there. For states that are new to this, relatively speaking, What's step two? That is, for people who want to advance school choice as a policy issue, what is step two? Well, first, they have to make sure that they implement the programs well, right? So just getting something passed is not the end of the fight. Uh, you want to make sure, A, parents need to know it exists. Uh, we did a poll at EdChoice a few years ago in Arizona. Uh, this was a year where they were trying to expand their ESA. There was just, you know, a big fight over it. There was it was constantly on the television. It was constantly in the newspapers, uh, and yet we found that actually a majority of families did not know that the program existed. Right. So making sure that there are organizations on the ground who are informing parents, and frankly, also informing the private schools. Right. The admissions office from each private school needs to be made aware that the program exists, so that they can uh, let their families know that it exists. Obviously, you need to make sure that it is implemented well. Uh, we've seen, to go back on Arizona again, um, they had a number of implementation issues at the outset, uh, getting it off the ground, um, you know, just figuring out things that, uh, you know, you've got 
when you're using an ESA, it's not just for private school tuition. It's also for tutoring, textbooks, homeschool curricula, online learning. Uh, well, there will be some things that parents want to spend their ESA funds on that sort of are in a gray area. So you need to have uh, you know officials make a decision. Is this approved? Is this not approved? One thing that we saw in Arizona is they were doing it sort of on an ad hoc basis. So one parent would uh, ask if something's approved, they would get it approved, they would tell other parents, some of those parents would then apply to, for the same thing, and then a different official would tell them no, right? So just making sure that when something is approved, it goes onto a list and you know everybody in the department understands that. So these, these sorts of things that don't make the papers, but are very important for the making sure the program works. And then of course, you know, once you've got a well-functioning program, people are aware of it, uh, you're going to start hitting caps. So you want to uh, expand the program because ultimately the goal is that every single child should have access to a high quality education. There are a lot of fights that are ongoing, and I've made no secret of the fact that I find most of these fights to be pure distractions and kind of, uh, not, they're not pointless, but they are pretty close to pointless when there's a much better alternative just staring them in the face. Um, a lot of parents have gone to a lot of school board meetings to fight about mask mandates for uh, their students, and you know there may be some psychological costs associated with uh, young people being compelled to mask up. There have been fights uh, over curriculum, in particular uh, critical race theory, being uh, the, the fear of it being taught in schools. And my uh, sense has been this is a pure distraction from the possibility of just expanding school choice as far and as wide as possible. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I certainly understand why people fall on one side or the other of these debates and are very passionate about them. Uh, this is one of the problems with the district schooling system that we have, where most people are sending their child to a school that they are assigned to based on the location of their home. Uh, and I think, you know, Neil McCluskey at Cato has been one of the uh, f foremost advocates for bringing peace to these schooling battles through choice. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Well, you know, as it turns out, if you and I disagree sharply over something that we both think is very, very important when it comes to our child's education. Essential. <laughs> essential even, right? I could force my view on you, or you could force your view on me, or we could each send our children to uh, schools that, that meet our needs and match, uh, align with our desires. That is a much better system, right? So if you have a large, free, and diverse society where you've got all sorts of people that disagree sharply about you know, education, which is a, obviously something, as you said, very essential, uh, it makes sense that you should be able to choose the school that aligns with your values. Let's assume for the sake of argument, that uh, every parent in America who is currently very upset about CRT or mask mandates in schools listens to this podcast and decides, you know what? Caleb Brown and Jason Bedrick are exactly right. I should be channeling all of my energy into school choice. What do you have to say to those parents? What is what is the next legislative go round look like? Because there's frankly, there's still a lot of uh, animated, angry parents who are confronting schools directly about some issues that 
I think, largely would be alleviated by school choice. So what does the next legislative session look like? Well, if they're frustrated and they want more options, then they should go to their state legislator and let them know that they're frustrated and want more options. Uh, and frankly, this is this is what we saw in Kentucky. I mean, there was uh, somebody uh, on the floor of the House who said, you know, I've never voted for a school choice bill before. You know, in my heart of hearts, I'm not really even in favor of this, but I've had so many families come to me telling me, what a hard time they're having and that they need more options. I have to give this to them. I have to vote for this. Uh, Do I think next year is going to be as big as this year was? Uh, Probably not. Uh, Most of the legislative action on these types of programs tends to happen in the year right after an election, not during an election year. Uh, So I don't expect it's going to be big, but, but before an election year, I do think it's going to be pretty big. We've had a number of legislators reach out to us uh, from states that either didn't pass anything this year or passed something that was relatively modest, saying, you know, we think we, we, we really missed out. Uh, parents are really still upset. Uh, we need to do something. And so in states like Utah, Georgia, Oklahoma, Idaho, uh, there are Wyoming, uh, there are some legislators who are listening to parents and uh, exploring options. So I think we could have a pretty big year. But really, I, I think it's going to come down to the 2022 election. If those folks who voted for uh, large expansions of school choice keep their seats, if they don't pay a price, in other words, for supporting school choice, then I, I think you're going to see legislators in a whole bunch of states saying, oh, okay. Uh, the voters are in favor of this. The water's warm. We're coming in. Jason Bedrick directs policy at Ed Choice. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.